0: This is Society Owes Me, a Gen X podcast. The pod where we go A to X through grunge, indie, alt-rock, pop, movies, soundtracks, TV and general Generation Catalano goodness. I am Lily and this is Hannah. Hello. How are you? Good. Are you ready for the N-pod? Am I ready for the N-pod? Is it the (laughs) (laughs) N-pod? It's the uh, N-pod. It's the N-pod. It is. A, B, C, Okay. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yes. Don't tell me you're going to ambush me like I ambushed you last week No Okay, good uh, Yes <laughs> We are going to do top 10 indie tracks of the 90s oh, Woo! <laughs> Just not shoegaze, right? No we're not Actually there is there is a bit of indie actually in this playlist You may Versus... or may not be surprised to hear <laughs> uh, But no, we are going to dive straight in Literally to the end pod Which is Incesticide by Nirvana. So this brings us uh, up to speed with Nirvana. I think now in the pod we have, after this, covered all of the uh, main Nirvana albums. Yeah. Might want to knock it down just a teeny bit. So a bit loud. So back, a bit loud to you. There we go. Better. I'm okay. to hear you. <laughs> as much as I want to listen to Nirvana. Obviously. Okay. So yeah, this is the first track. Off the album, why not start with the first, it's Dive. Um, So, Incesticide is, if you remember, a compilation uh, made up of, um, well, one non-album single that came out in 1990, Sliver, which I'll talk about next. A bunch of B-sides, a bunch of demos, outtakes, some cover versions, uh, and some radio broadcast recordings. And it came out in 1992, end of 1992, uh, December the 14th in Europe, and a day later, December the fifteenth, um, in the U.S. Capitalizing record companies, right? Absolutely, yeah. I thought you were going to explain to me what ins- insecticide was for a second. <laughs> insecticide? No, it's incesticide. I know. Well, yeah, it's a little play on words, isn't it? Oh no! Yes <laughs> <for laughs> me to spell it out. <laughs> it's clever, isn't it? Go on. <laughs> No, well remember I have difficulty with some of these things. Remember the Immaculate Collection? <laughs> well my friend the other day, so I used to live in, yeah. in a part of Hove called Poets Corner and she lived in Hove a long time and literally just put it together that the streets are named after no, 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 Poets. No. Yeah. Tom. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna name her. I'm not gonna out her you on should this. But it, it was it was very amusing indeed. Oh my god. <laughs> Shakespeare. Oh yeah, no, Oh <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, okay. Right, uh, died, this is one of the longest tracks um, uh, on the album actually, clocking in at a 3 minutes and 55 seconds, so let's see if I can tell you some stuff before it ends. What? Um, yeah, so super grungy this one. This was the B-side to uh, their second single, Sliver, which is coming up next, that came out in September 1990. Um, and uh, it was first recorded in the spring of 1989. We're going way back to uh, the 90s, uh, the 80s. Oh, that was not allowed um, then. It's the 80s. Uh, You're yes, out. It of didn't here. come out until <laughs> until until the 90s. All right then. Um, but yeah, so the first recording of it was at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, and the session was produced by a student there called Greg Babior or, Baby or Um and it was Babyoil. Sh- ba- <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Babior or Babyior. I don't know. Okay. B A B I O R. Oh, baby, baby, or. Do you I think can't it's baby it now. <laughs> I'm thinking of that. No, his nickname's no. Johnson Butler. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it was the only studio session that they recorded with Jason Everman, their second guitarist, who you might remember off the uh, off the Bleach artwork. And we discussed Bleach a little bit way back in Beers for Bangers in our very first series, so you can check that out if you haven't already. Yeah. Um, oh, pardon Leo. <coughs> the audio quality well, yeah, there well, it's, well, it's not well, as bad yeah. as I remember but it's not it's as not bad great. as A <laughs> yeah <laughs> nothing's as bad as A <laughs> um, yeah so Jason was credited on Bleach but he didn't actually play on it um, uh, and then they first performed it live um, oh god I meant to do the maths on this but it was exactly a year ago tomorrow at the time of recording this uh uh uh, uh, uh ah stop um <laughs> In, uh, in the Lynn Bloom Student Centre at Green River Community College. Mm. In Washington, which I assume is the Green River that Green River are based on. Indeed. Yeah. The Green River that the Green River Killer yeah. left his um, All of that. Um, you are correct. Um, uh, yeah, so um, apparently it's about being uh, bullied in a in a love-related way. And Courtney Love... Um, said that it's her favourite Nirvana song ever um, because it's so sexy so I'm not sure I would, um, mm, I would describe my it as sexy, <laughs> sexy. Um, but yeah she described it as sexy and sexual strange and haunting and uh, a work of genius yeah. so there you go right <clears throat> next up is the A side th- that was the B side too this is Sliver and this is one of my favourite um, songs off Incesticide do you remember this one? of course the jaws so um it was released as a non-album single by Pop in september 1990 um uh, and then re-released the same version on incesticide along with a, a new video to promote the uh, the album and it charted at number 23 in ireland i don't know where what it charted um at in the uh oh no i do it was number 19 on the us modern rock tracks uh, in early 93 and then it recharted at number 77 here in the UK in December 92 um, there's um, so Michael Lazarad who wrote um, one of their both comes you are I think it was um, said that it was written during a rehearsal with Dan Peters who played drums with nirvana briefly whilst um, mud honey were on a bit of a break they were temporarily defunct um, and uh Kurt said to uh, to Azerad that he decided that he wanted to write the most ridiculous pop song he'd ever written to prepare People for the next album, which was of course never mind um, so yeah uh Dan Peters uh played with them for a bit and then went back um to mud honey and screaming trees um and it's worth saying at this point that Incesticide has got four different drummers um on it, so it covers yeah lots of uh, eras of uh of, uh, of Nirvana. No one was hard enough until they found the Dave Grohl of their dreams. Well, I'm not sure about. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway, so You're most not of. Sure. He... Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that he wasn't the best? I'm not saying he wasn't the best, but the others were pretty hard. But Dave's still the best, right? Anna? Uh... <laughs> no! I, I, I don't know, I don't know anything best? about drumming, do I? Sure I do. love Dave Grohl, of course I love you Dave Grohl. You know Girl. that there's four drummers on this list now who did the best job. I don't know. Who's it's drumming on that for track, for say. example? So that's Dan Peters. That was Dan Peters, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, so it was Dan Peters on drums, but he wasn't, he was playing Tad Doyle's drums. Um, so they... Well, that's it, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's so so, so um, oh, fun fact, it was recorded a Reciprocal Recording. So I've told you about reciprocal recording studios, haven't I? Sure, because yeah. I haven't indeed, indeed been there in Seattle. With bibbin, as has my with a little baby, little baby, yeah. So um, yeah, it was recorded there um, whilst Tad uh, were recording. So they were also on Sub Pop, which Nirvana were on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they went on their studio breaks, um, you know, for lunch or whatever, Nirvana would apparently come in like guerrilla style um, and use their equipment. And Tad wasn't very happy about this apparently at first, but he then agreed to let them use the equipment because Jack and Dino, who was um, who was uh, recording for them, promised that Nirvana wouldn't trash all their stuff, which you know they had a bit of a reputation for for doing at that stage. Um, and Kurt told uh, Melody Maker in nineteen ninety that we called Tad up and asked if we could come over and record the song. We used their instruments while they sat around eating, but that's nothing new. The key to a successful album is to get the fuck out of the studio before you're sick of the songs. So they did indeed record the songs very quickly in under an hour with Dan Peters on drums and then Kurt went back a couple of weeks later and recorded his vocals um, and some extra guitar with, with Andino who then mixed it. And Kurt was very happy with the recording um, and he was happy with the, uh, with the sort of naivete um, that it had. Um, and he said it was done so fast and more imperfect that I don't think we could capture that again if we decided to re-record it. It's just one of those recordings that happened and you can't try to reproduce it. Uh, and it was one of the few Nirvana songs that they recorded before they'd ever played it live. Mm. Um That's like contrary to a lot of young bands, isn't it? Mm. They'll be playing it to death live and then, yeah, you know, then recording it later. Get the record deal, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I love I I, I love Sliver. Um it's you know, it's obviously about a, a boy left with his grandparents for the day and you know, he eats his dinner and he's playing but he wants to be taken home. Um, by grandma uh, and it reminds me of my mum telling me how mean I was to my own grandma when uh, she came over from Mexico to help my mum out and look after me when uh, my brother was due to be born and apparently <clears throat> um, I wasn't very happy being left with my grandmother and I would say to her tita go home Mexico plane <laughs> brutal yeah. I, I I, did apologise to her, to her many years later um, Kurt apparently called it sliver. Um, uh, this is a bit weird. I don't get it. But he apparently called it sliver because he thought that most people would accidentally call call it silver, and he found that amusing. But I probably didn't. Did. Yeah, that. I think I did, or at least read it that way in my head. Damn you, lot, Kurt! For but... getting into our heads. Um, yeah. So um, another person who is a, a big fan of sliver, not silver, um, is well, guess who? Sharon Stone. <laughs> probably probably I'll give you a clue we have talked about this band uh, oh, well, in gee. a in a Ooh, W, w episode <laughs> Weezer mm. so Rivers that was actually good because we we hardly have any W's <laughs> by the way please send us an email if you've got any W suggestions thanks very much i'm uh, just do Not on again No Weezer Wayne's 1 way way too Wayne's 1 too um yeah so he loved it so much that he in fact said that it had the biggest impact on his life in the early in his early 20s he said it was just one of those things where by the time it got through the first chorus i was just running around the store it had this and by that store he means um tower records on sunset boulevard which is where he was working in the spring of uh, 91 he said it had the simplicity of Velvet Underground and, and in the structure and the chords and the melody and the major chord progression of the music I love like ABBA, but also this sense of destructiveness and it came out in this new hybrid style. Actually, I I can, I can hear that in Weezer music, actually. Yes! That kind of thrash it up, sort of quiet, loud, like... I can totally see where he stole Nirvana's thing. Yeah, but what I didn't quite understand was that apparently this song, which is Heart Songs by Weezer, of um the Red album, I think... Um, this was inspired by Sliver, and I can't really hear it. No, definitely but more. Apparently, that's the thing because this is you know super chill. It's not yeah. the the Weezer that I would imagine Rivers is talking about. Yeah. I think you got some bad info there. <laughs> no. Definitely, you can definitely hear the influence on Weezer for sure. I never knew that though, so that is a very interesting fun fact. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, the video. I don't know if you've seen it, but. um it's got little baby Frances Bean in it. Well, not baby actually. She's 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 dancing at that stage, um, and Kurt's like holding her from behind, like with a uh, with his arm sticking through like you know card bit of cardboard, um, and it's quite cute. And Dave Grohl on drums um, on that, but he doesn't actually play drums on on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, oh when Kurt's wearing a red and black striped Mohair sweater that Courtney had bought. Uh, bought for him um, after a Nirvana show in Belfast not too not too far ah, isn't Hannah. that where they when they were on that uh, tour where they got engaged in the car yes I think so with therapy supporting wasn't yes. it yes yes I think that would be the same one God it's like we're putting it all together <coughs> Hannah it's a giant patchwork <laughs> quilt of rock okay so that's enough at Weezer because this is a Nirvana episode so this is Stain uh, which is basically like the incesticide version of, of Negative Creep um uh and pretty self-explanatory really it's about Kurt's sort of perceived image as a negative brooding monk like hermit. Um so it was it was first on blue um from on the blue Blue EP which was the first single off of Bleach um and it was produced by Steve Fisk who you uh you may recognise the name from having worked with Fish <laughs> Fisk It's, it's Norwegian what? for fish oh is it <laughs> learn something new every day. Uh, yeah he worked with Screaming Trees and Soundgarden Garden amongst many others. Um, but he, as in Steve Norwegian Fishman. Um, <laughs> Steve Norwegian Fishman, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't very impressed apparently when he first saw Nirvana. Um and he first saw them live with Jason everman and it was Jason everman that put him off because he felt he was too like macho metal with his like you know flicking his, is a T- tail yeah. about and yeah exactly a bit sort of cock rocky um but he changed his mind when bruce Pavitt of of, of Pop sent him a copy of, of bleach so he uh agreed to work with them um uh, they originally planned to release the EP to promote uh, the European tour that they were on at the time But the EP got delayed and um, so it was released exclusively in the UK after the tour. So, you know, lucky us uh, There was quite a lot of interest in the UK after Bleach anyway, and then John Peel, Lovely John Peel, promoted it um, and as a result it charted at number 15 on the UK Indie Singles chart And Ash have also covered it on their NumSkull EP that came out in 1999, but I can't play that because it's not Spotify. Good. You don't like Ash? Not really. Oh man, going could be our next day. Why would they cover Nirvana, that's like... Why wouldn't they? It's totally logical. No, but it's totally wrong. Basically the rule is, don't cover shit if you can't do a better job. And I agree with that. Or at least make it vastly different. I'm sorry, I just don't like Ash. I don't like their attitude, Have you heard the Ash version of Stay? I don't like their jib, okay? I never (laughs) do. What did Ash ever do to you? Nothing. The only thing they have going for them is that they're Irish, right? Yeah. That's it. Oh, harsh, harsh. Right on that name. Been a Sun fan? Sure. This is another one of my favourites sauces. I really like the like the the poppy ones uh, on this. And There's nothing um, wrong with that. Say so this. We can't all be Pantera fans. <laughs> this was also on that blue EP. Um, but a different version, so this one, the *Incesticide* version was, was, a, was an alternate uh, version that hadn't been re- released um, before and it was recorded uh, for a session with Mark Goodyear from our very own BBC Radio 1 uh, evening session at Maid of Elle Studios uh, in November 1991 and it was the last session that Nirvana ever did for the BBC um, and three of the four songs that they recorded in that session ended up being on *Incesticide*. Um, it was written in 1989, so another super early one. Um, and there's a, a solo home uh, demo that features Kurt on vocals, guitar, and bass um, on Montage of Heck. Um, have you seen the Montage of Heck movie? You must if you haven't seen it. Really. Yeah, long. It's brilliant. I saw it at the Pitch House when it came out, like that Blind Melon styley mm. showing. Um, and again, it was uh, this was a uh, Steve Fisk uh, worked with them on that, and he said. Um, be- because it was Niverna's first time recording on the new equipment that he had uh, when it was all over with they played this really loudly on the big speakers three times and stood up on the client tables in the back room and danced and they were really you know, euphoric um, after having recorded this uh, and I can see why, because it's, 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 it's a banger yeah it's pretty um, they apparently considered it for MTV Unplugged but um, as far as I know they didn't rehearse it and uh, yeah, they didn't end up performing it uh, but the lyrics, it's one of Kurt's um, sort of earliest commentaries on on gender and, and sexism. Um, again, pretty self-explanatory. It's about a girl whose parents would have preferred a boy. Um, I don't know how true it is, but um, apparently it's also semi-autobiographical because he claimed that his dad never wanted to have his sister, or at least wanted his sister to be a boy. So, mm. who knows? Right, so this was from another BBC Radio um, uh, recording, uh, this time with John Peel. Uh, this is Turnaround, and it's a cover. Can you guess who buy? Does it make-, make it better? Does it make it better? Yeah, what? European. Um, it's not a band that... Um, I would call myself a fan of, but it's just because I'm not familiar with their work, but I know that a lot of people that I look up to uh, really rate them. No. I was going to try and guess. I don't so, know. They, they, they wear funny outfits, funny hats. Devo? <laughs> yes! Shut up! Well done! No way! <laughs> what yeah. do you think about grunge bands being obsessed with Devo? Yeah, like Pearl Jam love them as well, don't they? So bizarre. So yeah. So Devo, the Devo original, um, was released as a, single, as a single when they were on Stiff Records um, uh, in 1978. It was on their B Stiff EP, but I think it was also a B side to to Whip It, which was their like whip big good. big ones, yeah, yeah, um, which came out in 1980. Um, but yeah, like the, it's it's it's, a, it's very different. In fact, I'll play you the Devo version. Here we go. No tells actually far more enjoying than the Nirvana one. <laughs> well there you go. So I think Nirvana have done Bravo. exactly what you have yes. accused Ash of, of not, not doing even though you haven't even heard the Ash I version. don't need to accuse them, I know. There's no way Ash could do it as good as Nirvana. You know it, I know it, Ash knows it. Yes. I feel like they'd no, be mad I, enough to no. admit that shit. A
1: chance.
0: Um, do you wanna to listen to this version or do you wanna to listen to the Nirvana version again? Well i tell you a little bit more. Actually, we're going to listen to this version. Thanks for um, asking. <laughs> <laughs> I only, because, only because, I think you can decide for the lyrics a little bit better on the original, on the Devo version, um, but they're quite funny. It's like this... Um, Sorry, I'm uh, just going to get some more tonic because all this Nirvana, you know, I'm drinking more gin here. It's a uh, quote Wikipedia. Um, the singer is an enraged observer of humankind and he commands the listener to step outside themselves and apply some much needed critical self evaluation, at which point, said listeners will realise what dreadful failures they are. Lovely. <laughs> uh, and Dave, oh no, well, I am going to put a little bit of the Nirvana uh, version on now just so that you can hear the drumming, which is your hero, Dave Grohl. This was his first recording session <laughs> My with <the> Vana. Hero. <laughs> Um... So I do yeah. love Day girl. So this was his first recording session, uh, the Peel session, recorded uh, in October 1990, uh, and then came out on an EP that Nirvana put out called "Hormoning," which came out in January 1992 on DGC and Geffen, but only in Australia and Japan because that's where they were touring at the time. Why does no band call themselves Hormone? <laughs> As in? Well, maybe they have. Hormone. Yeah. 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 That is. Yeah. But that could be our like second band after Fanny Lou's. Yeah, or maybe Fanny Lou's first album. <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> open this delicious Hannah has kindly brought a mint arrow, which is just the mm, most delicious cushion a bacon fry. All delicious British chocolates. Oh right, Lord. okay. Thank you so much. I'm gonna skip ahead to Molly's lips. Okay, do you wanna know a really fun fact? Sure do. Actually, it'd be more fun if you ever watched Rent-A-Ghost. Do you remember Rent-A-Ghost? I do. You do? That is who these Molly's lips are about. It is Molly. Um, uh, it's what? about Molly Weir. So she was the, the the woman who played Hazel McWitch, who was the ghost oh. in Rent-A-Ghost. What so ass- she, had white, she had bright red lips, do you remember? I hated her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've forgotten all about that show. It came she out. She hated it. It was like mid '80s, wasn't it? Early '80s, mid '80s. Early, yeah, yeah. What was that other one with? It's t- 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 that had a little car- a character called Teabag. just <laughs> Teab- te- thinking Teabag bag and Witch? Thing? He was called T-shirt. T-shirt. She was Teabag. The witch was Teabag. Yeah, uh, and okay, it was a girl. Yeah. There was something Quest or something. Yeah. And it was a really kind of an annoying girl with red hair. If I recall correctly. Yeah, I think that maybe that was slightly after Rent-A-Ghost, but it was the similar similar sort of genre. Yeah, the guy from Rent-A-Ghost really looks like Peter Sutcliffe, the murderer. Nice. He does, look. Oh God, he does. Spooky. Um, yeah, so another cover. Uh, I'd said that there'd be a little bit of indie on this. Can you guess who this was a cover of? Kurt said they were his favourite band ever. Do you want a clue? Yeah. So he named his daughter after one of the members. We have talked about them before. Oh, I thought she was named after Frances Farmer. No, but we did talk about her in the In in Utero episode when I explained that many people think she's called after Frances Farmer, but in fact she is named after this woman singing this song... She's Francis McKee of the Vaselines. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So the Vaselines, Eugene Kelly and Francis McKee. <clears throat> um, and yeah, he um, absolutely loved the Vaselines, which I've always found a little bit... bit of a shocker. ...surprising. Yeah? Yeah. yeah but I mean, maybe. this is lovely. I do prefer the Nirvana version. Um, I just find this a little bit too saccharine. Yeah. Um, this, do you know what this all reminds me of? I knew. Oh no! I thought you were going to say Julianne Hatfield. <laughs> and a bit as well. But, <laughs> but yeah. you're going to give a little rendition. This could have been on the Juno soundtrack, no problem. No, no, I don't think so. You think you Kim Kimmy Dawson maybe in the Moldy Peaches? You think yeah. it sounds like that? No, no. This is that little horn is really weird as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, the Nirvana version came out on a vinyl-only split single with a band called the Fluid who had a song called Candy. So it's Candy and Molly's Lits by Fluid and Nirvana and it came out on Sub Pop in 1991. Um, uh, What else can I tell you? Oh, so the Vaseline Vaseline split up but they reunited to play a gig with Nirvana in Edinburgh on their 1990 European tour which I think is that same European tour that we mentioned before. Um, And in the liner notes um, Kurt listed that show as one of the most rewarding moments of Nirvana's life. Okay. Another cover. Do you want to guess who this is a cover of? Um, I can give you a clue. Kurt called them his favorite band. The Basilians. <laughs> yeah, well done. It's another Vaseline. Good cover. memory, good ten-second memory, Lily. Well done. So proud of myself. So uh, yeah, this is also. Um, this, is, this was also recorded in that uh, John Peel session and um, I, again I prefer this version to the Vaseline version but um, it's about how you know, everything's sunny when you're with your sweetheart and then rainy when they're, when they're gone. But do you want to know how Kurt discovered the Vaselines? Indeed I do. So there was a record label called K um, set up by this like scene star in Olympia called Calvin Johnson who um, played in another band that Kurt was a fan of called Beat Happening and he set this label up in the early 80s so that he could make compilation tapes of his favorite bands who included obviously the Vaseline's uh, but also the Melvins, um, Shonen Knife from Japan um, and various bands who were big influences, big influences on, on, on Kurt in the early days um, and the logo for K Records was a K that Kurt ended up tattooing on his um, on his arm. Do you want to hear a little bit of the original? Yeah. So Eugene on vocals this time. Preference? Between this version and the Nirvana version? Yeah, the Nirvana version. <laughs> there she comes again. Is that the correct L I think That's it's alright right until Francis comes in. Bless her. Alright then, in that case <clears throat> you'll recognise this. But slightly different from the version that we talked about. Indeed, on a new toe because this is the new wave version of Polly. So, this is one of those four songs that record, it was recorded on the Mark Goodyear session, um, which hadn't been released before up until this date. Um, and it features another drummer, Mr. Chad Channing, on drums this time. Oh. So, um I'll tell you a bit about the artwork at this point. Um, remember the cover of Incesticide? Yeah. So uh, this is credited to Kurt G- Cobain with a K and a D in the Kurt. Um, so when um, Incest Side came out, the reason that, um, well, so it came out uh, as a result of Jonathan Poneman of Sub, Cop, Sub Pop contacting Gary Gersh, who um, was the guy that signed Nirvana GGC, DGC. Um, and Jonathan called him up and told him that Sub Pop still owed lots of unreleased early Nirvana recordings. I and mean, uh the band had wanted to release um, some of those via Sub Pop and call the album Cash Cow. Uh, but Sub Pop. Oh, I keep saying Sub Pop. Sub Pop. That is a very interesting slip. Sub Pop couldn't match Geffen's um, huge distribution network. Um, and the band felt that they wanted maximum exposure because, you know, that's really fun. Had a massive cock. Massive um, cock. So anyway, Sub Pop ended up selling uh, the material to Geffen for a six-figure amount on the condition that the band would create and approve an album release by Christmas 1992. Um, and Kurt apparently agreed uh, to do it um, because he was given full artistic control over the um, over the artwork. So uh, the cover, if you remember, has um, like weird skinny sort of skeleton thing and a weird sort of fetus um, with a cracked skull. Uh, and a big poppy, and I don't know. You can you can draw your own conclusions as to what that might represent. There's no big reveal here. <laughs> mm. But yeah, what was I telling you about the artwork? Oh yeah, because um, uh, Kurt did uh, some quite famous now liner notes, um, and in that he um, one of the things that he uh, he uh, denounced was well he denounced various things like homophobia and misogyny and stuff. But there's a bit if I can find it where he um yeah so he he ends it saying if any of you in any way hate homosexuals people of different colour or women please do this one favour for us leave us the fuck alone don't come to our shows and don't buy our records and then he ends it with last year a girl was raped by two wastes of sperm and eggs whilst they sang the lyrics to our song Polly I have a hard time carrying on knowing that there are plankton like that in our audience sorry to be so anally PC but that's the way I feel love Kurt brackets the blonde one Uh right beeswax That shows a lot of responsibility as a as a musician when you know you're aware of people doing things almost in your name. Oh yeah. And and calling that out, you know, so many bands I feel like have backed away from that and said that's not a responsibility. That's nothing to do with us. Which, I mean, it it isn't. But it, there's nothing wrong with denouncing it when it does happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think at this point. Um, he was str- he was starting to struggle a lot already with, you know, when in utero The Burkett? Well, no, but they also like, um, I can't remember how he put it, but it was that basically trying to lose fans, wasn't it, because he was aware that a lot of the people in his audience were those jocks that, you know, he hated at school or bullied them at school and he didn't want those people to be his fans. So, you know, I guess that's who he's addressing there as well. Um, And yeah, it must be a horrible feeling to, um, you know, to find out news like that as well. Bloody hell. Um, Right, so Beeswax uh, came out on a compilation album called Kill Rockstars. Um, So they were starting to get a bit worried that their punk credentials um, might be questioned a bit after going from, you know, indie grungy sub-pop to massive getting records. Um, So they decided to, one way to kind of like, you know, get over that would be to make this very grungy, punky song available and they did it on Kill Rockstars that came out in 1990, 1991 and other people on that um, album included Bratmobile, The Melvins, Courtney Love and Bikini Kill who we've just booked tickets to see yay um, yeah and all those bands um, either or or both um uh, performed at the 1991 International Pop Underground Convention, for and were from Olympia. So yeah, I mean, it's shouty, it's grungy, it's... I like it. Fine, but it's good it like not Jam could have done it in a way, which I never feel about. Never which I album would there. it have been on? Versus. Really? I'd have put it down as Vitalogy. Really? no. Nah, yeah. it's not slick enough, Vitalogy. For me. Well, it's not my fave, so uh, I'm going to... Oh, I like that one. ...flick through to... Um, down. So, this was on Bleach, or, well, some versions of Bleach. It was on the 1990 CD version of Bleach, um, but not on the cassette version. Um, <clears throat> but it was released on, on Incesticide because um, they didn't play it live very often. Kurt wanted people to hear it. Um, it was his uh, attempt at, like, a political song, so he's... Um, Lamenting nuclear war and radicals who believe the world's going to end Among um, other issues that I guess were worrying him at the time And he said that he was He said, I was trying to be Mr. Black Flag punk rock guy I didn't know what I was talking <laughs> about This think I was honest yeah, Black Flag! But yeah, I prefer this one to be I like them both Don't, you know, don't, be, don't have a favourite child, Heather Oh definitely got very When it comes to on the this. <laughs> uh do hear a bit more or shall I skip through to Mexican seafood? Go ahead. I think this was the award for best title. So I can only assume that this song is about ceviche. Um, of course. What else could well, you Well well, good question. Song facts <laughs> say that it's probably about yeast infections. <laughs> Lovely. And that it could also be about food poisoning or other illnesses. And, you know, I mean, think they, they've probably got a point, like, so rude. The lyrics are really gross. Um, in fact, I'll let you listen to them. Did you hear that? It hurts when I pee. Well, we've all been there. <laughs> or not. They're they gross. So all the itchy flakes. It's a flaming, All the gels and creams. It's pertaining to a fungus mold cured by injection. Hope it's only a yeast infection. I won't read you all. They get they get worse. They get worse. But yeah, like he did have a bit of an obsession with bodies and you know fetuses and How are you supposed to concentrate on singing if you've got a, you know an uncomfortable painful itch or? Well yeah, Seepage. well yeah yeah it did suffer from summit problems a lot as well didn't it? it's gonna me? be on your mind then obviously um, it's gonna come out of your mouth yeah that's a very guns and roses type guitar breakdown though you know it I mean? is a bit isn't it yeah um, this was first released on an album called Teriyaki Asthma Volume 1 which I think is a fantastic title that's like, I've, I know it's got a name but it's like where you take two completely unrelated words and stick them together Teriyaki Asthma, it's great, L7 were on that as well Um, ok moving on, I love teriyaki and I have asthma <laughs> I think that's for me <laughs> love teriyaki, asthma, not so much <laughs> Um This is a great title as well, actually. This is Hairspray Queen. Um, It was one of the very first Nirvana songs. It was an integral part of their early club shows, apparently. Um, And this version was recorded in early 1988, which I think makes it the oldest song on the album. Um, I think I disagree with Song Facts on here. Um, So Song Facts says it it appears to be about 1970s uh, and styles of the time, like big hair and disco. But I think it's more likely to be about... Like the glam metalers and you know, all of those cock rockers that he hated. Early, early 80s as punk, everybody used hairspray. Yeah, so that's my point. It's like the the the, the big hair cock rockers um, that he was taking the piss out of. Yeah, but the out, punks like. aren't cock rockers. No, 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 but the, the hair, the big Bigger hair metalers, the Tommy glam metalers. Yeah, 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 the, you know, your punk. Yeah. The well, and Axl Rose and Susie those... Susie Sue type hair, I wouldn't call her a... No, I'm talking about Motley Crue and Axel. Mainly Axel, I think. that Well, he did have a little poof. Kurt did hate in him. the '80s, but then he slicked down, didn't he, with his with his bandana? Oh, His, oh, yeah. his gang style bandana. But yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd like to read it more like that because oh, yeah, he loved classic rock, but he really hated Guns and Roses and. Motley Crue. And, in fact, what did Eddie Vedder say recently about Motley Crue? Didn't he have a bit of a go at them on Twitter or something? No, it was Nikki Six saying that Pearl Jam were boring. But wasn't it in response to Eddie Vedder having said something? Oh, yeah. I guess he did. Yeah. I can't remember what now. Just probably that they were dicks. I struggle to recall. I'll check Twitter. A fair comment. It was. I remember thinking it was fair, but yeah, I guess it was expected that he was going to come back for really. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like to think it's more like that. In fact, so Chris said that um, I've got this fantastic book, which is called Nirvana: The Stories Behind Every Song. That is literally that. And in this book, about this song, um, uh, uh, Chris is saying that uh, punk rock galvanised people in Aberdeen. That all the misfits realised that redniks weren't just dicks; they were total dicks. Punk rock had cool political personal, had a cool political personal message. it was like the opposite of, of cock rock. Um, apparently it's also, um, well, Kurt and Chris were, were both very influenced by Gang of Four and this song in particular was, uh, was very influenced by Gang of Four, who were from Leeds, did you know? I did not know that. You are full of the facts today, Anna. Okay, final fun fact on this song is um, the first time that Nirvana ever performed, apparently a girl asked Kurt after the show if he'd made up the lyrics about this song on the spot about her. I mean, what a narcissist. Um, and he was quite taken aback apparently, because it was the first time that his lyrics had been interpreted differently from uh, from what he'd meant them to be. Uh, and that apparently informed his musical direction moving forward. How? I don't know, but there you go. Have you found it yet? Not yet. Please continue okay. to like find it. In the it. meantime. Actually, this is a trio of fantastic titles. This one's Aero Zeppelin. So do you want to guess what this one might be about? No (laughs) clue. Okay, another drummer on this arrow since you bought it. (laughs) Speaking of arrows, I don't. I don't find aero mint aero compliments my gin at the moment. Maybe later for dessert. Must be silly. Okay, another drummer on this one. This time it is Mr. Dale Crover of the Melvins, who I believe you mentioned a few times on your. My um, own M is for proto grunge, grunge, maybe? Yes. Sadly, a brutally ignored uh, pod episode that we did. <laughs> so if you haven't listened, go and check it out. <laughs> uh, this is another one that was recorded uh, uh, back at my old stomping ground of Reciprocal Recordings <laughs> in 1988. Um, so between recording with Dale Crover and finding Chad Channing, in that period, uh, apparently Kurt put an advert in uh, in Seattle's Rocket magazine um, that said, heavy, light, punk rock band, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Black Flag, Scratch Acid, Butthole Surfers, Seeks Drummer. Sorry, would you like to know what Eddie Vedder did say about Motley Crue? Yes, please. <laughs> it's funnier than I remember, actually. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> he called Motley Crue, vacuous and said he despised them <laughs> fair <laughs> and so what did Nicky Zix say and back and he also pointed out um that um he was doing an earthlings gig and Chad Smith was playing the drums he was like look at that beautiful kit and don't worry it's not rotating or it's not going to fly anywhere it's just going to stay exactly right there." <laughs> <laughs> and what did Nicky Zix say back Something vacuous. That they were the most boring band in history. Oh, lame, lame, lame. Which, you know, to be fair, Pearl Jam didn't actually have anything to do with those comments. It was Eddie Vedder himself as a solo artist. So I feel aggrieved on behalf of Stone and Jeff. Yeah, but Stone and Jeff, Matt, Stone and Jeff think the same. Come on, you know they do. I'm just saying, don't, don't come after Stone. Stand down, Nikki Six. Don't know who you're messing with. Pearl Jam fans. Crazy <laughs> <laughs> Well they're not crazy But they will come after you on Twitter Careful you'll get gifts in your letterbox Tiffany, I think everyone you will agree with me on this. And, and frankly any be better <laughs> on this one um, Apparently in their, at their early gigs Nirvana used to cover uh, Led Zeppelin Specifically their Immigrant song um, Which I don't have a version to play you now oh, great. But I would like to hear hear that uh, okay, right, I'm going to skip along to penultimate track, Big Long Now. So this was previously unreleased and Melvins influenced. Not sure what it's about. Song Facts, which I'm starting to have big doubts about, thinks <laughs> that it's um, about an alien encounter. Oh, well, probably is uh, it. Well, the lyrics do go like, she's not turning green. <laughs> Why can't I hear and instantly grow, which apparently then means that it's about extraterrestrials? I don't know. Really? Because that's not what I was thinking. What, do you what think about, about genius lyrics? What did they oh, have? I, 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 I'm not sure I looked at genius this time. Don't know. But I can tell you what Chad Channing said about it. Go on. So he was the drummer when it was written, and it, Chad said that Kurt didn't know what it was about either. So there you go, song facts. Well then, in your face with your alien abduction. But Chad, it was Chad that supplied the title. So he said that Kurt went, well, I don't really have a title for it. And so I just off the top of my head suggest big, long, now. I have to say, Chad, I don't think this should be your major duty in life to name songs. <laughs> Except, funny you say that. So oh, he also named about your a girl mind. in a very similar way. Because he ended up, so the reason he suggested Big Long yeah, Now. That's good. That's a <laughs> sentence, practically. Yeah, but it's exactly the same. The big rationale is exactly the same. So he said Big Long Now because he was trying to think about how the song felt. And like, I mean, you can see where he's going, right? Like it is slow and... Yeah, heavy. but it's pretty pulled out of your arse though, isn't it? Big, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kurt could have uh, uh, rejected it and suggested something better, but he did, not he just went with it. He could really do the same thing with About a Girl, though. About? Yeah, uh, no, uh, he did. Uh, girl? He did, because Kurt was playing it, and Chad's like, oh, so what's this about? Kurt says, About a Girl. Why don't you call it oh, About a Girl? It? Just, no, it's completely, completely different. No, but it's exactly the same. Hannah, it's don't, don't really go Wayne's World on me, just to hear me out. <laughs> Gone <on>, then. <laughs> no, that was it is, you know what I mean. Same formula. And if you want to know what I mean by Hannah going Wayneswell, please <laughs> listen to our best Gen X movie <laughs> ever podcast episode. And Wayneswell too, which is going... Which is never,
1: <laughs> ever going spoken about.
0: So yeah, it is a bit of a big long now, but I, I don't know, I really like this track. Do, really? Weirdly. I really, really like it. I like it more than I feel like... <laughs> I thought I oh, would. That's my favourite greeting card at the moment. What? The picture of the guy <laughs> standing outside his house, and the bin man's there, and he says, "Where's your bin?" And he says, "I've been to the gym." And the man says, "No, where's your wheelie bin?" And he goes, "Okay, I've been down the pub, but don't the <laughs> <road."> <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Final track. So let's end with a belter. Aneurysm. So, this uh credited to all three um, main fave Nevada members Kurt, Frist, and Dave. Um, uh, so, a version of this had been released before, but this is an alternative version that hadn't been released before. Uh, but it was written in 1990. First performed at the Off Ramp Cafe in Seattle, which I feel like we've talked about. Just where we talked about the Off Ramp. Strikes a chord there. (laughs) Where could we possibly? Don't send us emails. We know. (laughs) So this was the uh, the B side of "Smells Like Teen Spirit." that came out in '91, but not this version because this is uh, another Mark Goodyear session version. Um, And of the four songs that they recorded during that session, they spent the longest time working on aneurysm using fade-ins and fade-outs on the backing vocals to give that strange vocal effect that you'll hear shortly. And an overall lighter feel than the original version, uh, which was the one that was recorded at at Music Source um, and was on the Hormoning EP that I mentioned earlier. it's so weird to think of Mark Goodier having anything. To do. I know, like, yeah, he's or not one out. of the coolest DJs, is he? No. I thought they'd got that wrong, and like they were talking about all of them being appeal Session, but no, this yeah, is. Yeah, it's. They're weird. totally separate. BBCs. I think they were both recorded at Made in though. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. I could just. I can only think of him presenting Top of the Pops. You know, with that yes. extra ness. Yeah, just he's like those really bad ones where uh, Tony Blackburn would do it and he'd be like, yeah, you, you know, and you'd just be like, oh God, stop. Yeah, I mean, he's no Joe Wiley or. Yeah, Joe Wiley made it cool. Yeah, Lauren Laverne made it cool. But anyway, maybe Mott, yeah, Mott Good cool. Can you imagine? He was like, and that was Yeah. Your <laughs> <laughs> so this song um, is. Uh, apparently one of, the, one of the few songs that Kurt wrote after his breakup with Toby Vail or Bikini Kill who we're going to see soon um, and he yeah so he wrote this after they split up you know the Toby, Toby Vail apart from being in Bikini Kill um, she's the one that put the girl in right, girl, she came up with the the bit so okay um, oh and also fun fact so everyone knows how Cafe Nana Gave Smell About Teen Spirit yes. the name from the deodorant. So, apparently, I mean, I, I I don't know that this is, you know, 100% true, but I have read that it was Toby Vale's deodorant that she was actually referring to. That the teen I spirit deodorant was. belonged to Tony Yes, Bell. I believe that is true. But then I also thought the teen spirit deodorant was a man's deodorant. Uh, I no, I think wrong. you're correct, but like, if that was true, then Kurt would have known what it was. Yeah, so but not. I don't think he did. Yeah. And again, maybe he doesn't examine his girlfriend's uh, toiletry bag. Anymore. Well, also, I'm not sure that his personal hygiene was was great at that stage either. So maybe he did not use the agent. i Standard. Don't. Know. Well, <laughs> Courtney's gonna come up. But it, you. he kind of like Actually, said as much on stain. Like, yeah, but I read an interview where uh, Courtney, and this is back in the '90s, but I never forgot it, where she said that Kurt uh, was her blonde baby duckling, and he always smelled delightful and wonderful at all times, and it was weird that he was just sort of beautifully centred. I mean, maybe it was love. I'm just saying Um, I remember reading that. (laughs) I'm I'm sure it was love. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so this song was um, like an attempt to to try and win her back. Um, Unlike other songs about her, like Drain You, um, which was rather different. but yeah, yeah. She keeps pumping straight to my heart. He's it, it, got a nice sort of turn of words, I think, with This Is well. He talks about shooting the shit and beating the beat out of me. Um, but yeah, this was never on a studio album, but it is a fan fave and uh, was a regular part of their set lists in 1991 and 1992. Um, another fun fact. Lots of fun for Kurt, I guess. So they, they met, Toby that, Toby, that is, and Kurt, met whilst they were hanging out with the Melvins. Um, but apparently a lot of people said that Kurt was way more into her than she was him and that she ended up being sort of quite dismissive of him. So um, she regretted that. Quite a a heartbreak for him. So that was Nirvana's incesticide. Hurrah! Mm, Thank you very much. I've gained some valuable Nirvana knowledge, which I did not know. Which is surprising because we have done many a Nirvana album well, I think that, Still that, more to know. Yeah, that covers them all now. We've did bleach. We've done Nirvana in utero, unplugged, and finish it off with uh, getting cesticide. I guess, yeah. not, not the correct order, but there you go. Don't need it to be in the correct order. It's fine. It was the 90s. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Um, so if you need to, or you wish to, you can contact us through gmail, uh, podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Society Ozme and Gen X Podcast, Twitter at gxp, which we are trying to make happen. So please help us <laughs> in that respect. And you can leave us a voice message on Anchor FM, which would be nice. We'd love to hear your voice. And leave us a five star review on Apple if you so feel moved to do so. There's some sort of rating system on Spotify. Wouldn't hate you if you did that either. Tell a friend. Bring a friend, show a friend, I don't know, do something <laughs> in the name of so much EXP. Tell us what you want to hear more of or less of. Do you want more metal? You're probably not going to get it. You, you can't have any more of Nirvana, sadly, but well, there's plenty other well, well. there's other stuff that we yeah. could definitely come together. Anyway. You um, want Ways World 2? You let us know. <laughs> and if you don't, let us know. ta That's us. Bye.